All right, folks, I'm going to um, do some reading from a few articles, quotes, whatever. Um, so I was watching Mr. Graham Hancock's new Netflix series. Uh, was it Ancient Apocalypse or something like that? And pretty good, pretty good. Um... Pyramids, volcanoes, it's all there. But uh, <clears throat> one thing I kind of noticed was how he was bringing up all these ancient civilizations and myths and everything. And yeah, he mentions India for like a little bit. But um, so I went... I looked, I read through all the different episodes about what the episodes were about. And I noticed he, not even one of those episodes, he visited or mentions India. I mean, I haven't finished watching all of them yet, but if he does, well, I just wanted to say because I was like, how is he not mentioning India with any of these as one of the ancient civilizations which is still running and so i did a little research on him with uh about india and check this out he was grandma hancock was born in edinburgh scotland but was brought to india as a child of three years old three years in july 1954 by his father who had accepted the position of a surgeon at the Christian Medical College Hospital in Velour in Tamil Nadu. So that's South India, okay? This is a quote from Graham Hancock on Goodreads. Quote, Indian thought has traditionally regarded history and prehistory in cyclical rather than linear terms. In the West, Time is an arrow. We are born, we live, we die. But in India, we die only to be reborn. Indeed, it is a deeply rooted idea in Indian spiritual traditions that the earth itself and all living creatures upon it are locked into an immense cosmic cycle of birth, growth, fruition, death, rebirth, and renewal. Even temples are reborn after they grow too old to be used safely through the simple expedient of reconstruction on the same site. Yeah, I mean, he even talks about this on, on this show. Within this pattern of spiraling cycles where everything that goes around comes around, India conceives of four great epochs of world ages of varying but enormous lengths. The Krita Yuga, the Treta Yuga, the Dava Yuga, Dwapara Yuga, and the Kali Yuga. At the end of each Yuga, a cataclysm known as Pralaya engulfs the globe in fire or flood. Then Tonga. Then from the ruins of the former age, like the phoenix emerging from the ashes, the new age begins. Shivalush, Shiva, came from Russia, 
Shivalush Volcano. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, <clears throat> this article on RT.com. France won't be U.S. vassal, says Macron. The French president has doubled down on his Taiwan rhetoric after American criticism. Vive la France. Paris is an ally and not a vassal of Washington. French President Emmanuel Macron said on Wednesday, defending his comments about strategic autonomy of the EU regarding the rising tensions between the U.S. and China. All this would make would make oh my god it's 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 so simple it's just geography man it's not that complicated this is the problem with the world map having <clears throat> North America and South America on the left side this is the problem all this can be fixed if you have the ring of fire as the center of the map. Then you see the rest of the continents, the, the rest of the lily pads on the map, and it's shaped like a motherfucking horse. Greenland is the head of the horse. You can't make this shit up. If you have the world map like that, it makes a lot more sense. Everything. Geography, history, geopolitics, energy, fucking trading shipping everything migration <clears throat> just have the ring of fire at the center of the world map africa's on the left eurasia's above it and then you have on the right side north america and south america and then antarctic on the bottom it's just it just makes sense it's just geography <laughs> europe africa europe asia this was basically the okay being an ally does not mean does not mean being a vassal. Doesn't mean that we don't have the right to think for ourselves, Macron said in Amsterdam at a joint press conference with Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte. Asked for the French position on Taiwan, Macron said Paris supports the status quo, meaning the one China policy and the search for a peaceful resolution to the situation. All they got to do now is win over Zelensky and that's it. What, what are they going to do? Fucking. <laughs> Returning from his trip to China on Sunday, Macron argued that the EU can't just be America's followers and that it is not in the bloc's interest to stoke tensions over Taiwan. Yeah, finally some of these people are just done with the bullshit, the horse shit, man. Like, even Elon Musk has had it with BBC, man. Like, it's just, it's just, everybody's done, man. They are done with the bullshit. Okay. Good. Common sense. Reason is coming back. Good, good. Enough of bending over. Now stand the fuck up. Okay. Uh, the worst thing would be to think that we Europeans must become followers on this topic and take our cue from the U.S. agenda and a Chinese overreaction, he told reporters. The remarks earned a swift rebuke from U.S. Senator Marco Rubio, a Florida Republican on the Foreign Affairs Committee, who suggested Washington might leave the EU to handle the Ukraine conflict by itself. <laughs> Joffrey. 
Joffrey never learns, man. Taiwanese Parliament Speaker Yu Si-kun on Tuesday argued that France had forsaken its motto of liberty, equality, fraternity, and that advanced democracies should not ignore the lives and deaths of people in other countries, adding that Macron's comments left him puzzled. Yeah, you fucking useless, dumbfuck, Orwellian cuckboys. Just just sit there with sucking your thumbs and looking puzzled. That's all you can do. Fucking useless. Meanwhile, French finance minister Bruno Le Marie Mayer, Mayer said that Macron was perfectly right to demand European independence and sovereignty, while the president of the European Council, Charles Michel, noted that quite a few leaders of EU countries think like Macron, even though they wouldn't say things the same way. Yeah. It's all about protection. That's all it is. When asked, why do you think Snowden went to Russia? If it's all about protection, he knows the game. It's all about protection. He So he moved to Russia. Imagine that. Imagine if uh, fucking Assange had done the same thing. When asked about the French president's comments on Monday, the U.S. State Department said France is a long-standing ally and that occasional dis- disagreements do not detract from the deep partnership with Paris. As for the EU position, a State Department spokesman cited a recent speech by the bloc's president, Ursula von der Leyen, which described China as a national and economic security threat and that there is immense convergence between Washington and Brussels on the matter. Useless. These motherfuckers never paid attention in geography class. Fucking useless. Okay, next I'm going to read a fucking article from JSTOR. This is called The Asvata Tree on the Vatican Hill. I had already done an episode on this, but I'll do it again. Because, yeah, it's just volcanoes, pyramids, temples, cathedrals, churches, popes. That is, it's... Is literally, is literally fucking the Pope and his cucks went around colonizing the savages, right? Who are building these great monuments to their goddesses. And they replaced that with churches and, 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 and dicks. That's, that's all he did. You cannot have any of the feminine and any of the... You can't. You cannot empower the feminine. So everything became just dick symbology. And now we wonder why there's grown-ass men walking around in dresses nowadays. I mean... Okay. The Asvata tree, the Asvata tree on the Vatican Hill. At the center of the world, this is by uh, G.R.H. Wright. At the center of the world, about which it turns, is the pole. The unmoving regulator of all moving things. At this point, horizontal direction ceases to have significance. All such directions have the same sense, or lack of it. They are all equally away from the center. Cart- cartographically, they are all equally south. 
Having reached the center, the only meaningful direction to take is not horizontal but vertical. And this signifies a change not of place but of state. One more thing. Uh, in his um, TV show, or the, the new Netflix series, The Ancient Apocalypse, Graham Hancock will bring up all the ancient myths about these certain giants or heroes that came to help the people build back civilization after the you know, major cataclysm or whatever so yeah they they were shamans that's all it is they were like shaman kings leaders that's that's they were the giants <laughs> the sh <sighs> The Shramanas. Shramana. Okay. Having reached the center, the only meaningful direction to take is not horizontal but vertical. And this signifies a change not of place but of state. Yeah. Shamanism. Here very truly, Cujus est solum, eus est usc... Okay, this is all Latin. Ab infernos ad colam. It is no wonder that every race has made use of these inescapable notions of centricity to order and understand life. Yeah, it's... It's, it's um, the same thing. The, basically, they took the same symbology, put it in the cathedral floors. It's the, it's the fucking... Uh, going from the outer circle to the inner circle, to the center point. It's in Moana, when she puts back the fucking heart of Tefiti. And it, it's the same symbology. It's all... Okay. Accordingly, at this point is envisaged the world hill, or the navel of the world. The essential protoplasm of creation. On this is the tree and a standing stone signifying life in its two senses. Life which is ever in generation and regeneration and therefore in the ultimate sense is life eternal and unchanging. And by or beneath is a grave, the terminal, an origin, the end and the beginning of total life. Inde vita resurgerit. All this is now generally known. It is not, however, so generally known that that in a consider considerable number of instances, people imagine the tree not as growing up from the earth with its roots in the ground, but as growing towards, sorry, growing downwards towards the earth with its roots in heaven. In short, as an inverted or upside-down tree, the notion of this inverted tree was common among the shamans of the north, and it can also be found in more familiar Semitic traditions. Semitic. You anti-Semite! Semitic. Look up who, what all countries, nations, tribes fall under Semites. Example, I'll give you one. Ethiopia is one of them. Example, those of the Zohar and 
Islam. However, it is presented most circumstantially in India. It is, and it is from Indian literature that the best understanding of its significance can be derived. From the Rig Veda onwards, Indian thought saw the ultimate constituent principle of all existence, Brahman, in the image of the Asvata tree, which is the tree of life, which is the shaman's tree, the fig tree, okay? The fig tree, Adam and Eve made clothes for them with fig leaves. The fig tree is all over these ancient Symbols, myths, Buddhism, Hinduism, fig tree, Christianity, fig tree. Okay, which is the tree of life. Look, I even shared the stuff on these, the, 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 this one lady who takes care of this one fig tree because she says there's a spirit who lives there which is consistent among all these old myths. Even Alice in Wonderland is talking about the same fucking thing. As about a tree of life and equally asserted its inverted position in the non-ground air, King Varuna, pure power upholds the tree's crest, its ground is up above, its branches are below, May their banners be planted deep in us. Fig tree. What is why? Because its branches are below. Yeah, because the fig tree branches they go down into the ground, create more roots. There is like a literal Yeah, nature's cathedral. There you go. That's how they did it. Nature's cathedral helped them build the big stone ones. The fig trees showed them how to do it. Okay. And later in the Upanishads, root above, branches below, this primal fig tree. Pure indeed is its root. It is Brahman, known as the immortal. Okay. I'm just saying, this one time, I did some... Um... Mushrooms, okay. I kid you not. There was okay. I was outside. There was this big tree. I don't know if it was. It wasn't a fig tree. It was a. I don't know what type of tree it was. Okay, but I saw this character. Very kingly character, okay, in, in standing in front of the tree, like, well, not standing, um, it's like literally like floating, like ab above the tree. This, mo <laughs> this motherfucker looks straight up like fucking a character out of Lord of the Rings, man. I am not even kidding, okay. This motherfucker had two ladies on both sides, okay, of his arms. And then he looked at me. <laughs> and then he gave me the hand signal, like, come on, come join us. I kid you not. Okay, so 
Well, all these old things, all these people say that trees have spirits and shit. I'm just saying, there might be something to it, okay? When they would make all these sculptures out of tree logs with a god inside the tree log. I'm like, well, I'm just saying, if you see it, then how are you going to explain it? If you yourself see see it, I'm just saying, okay? So, okay. In it rest all the worlds. No one goes beyond it. All this verily is that tree. That's the Katha Upanishad 6.1. Ultimately, the dual conception of the tree's stance springs from the close connection of the tree of life with the fire of life, which is the sun. <coughs> so the tree of life is the fig tree, and the fire of life is the sun. This is basic photo photosynthesis. Okay. This is familiar to us in the winged solar disk which rests or hangs above the tree of life in Western Asiatic cylinder seals and the like okay so basically in the western seals then the sun is the winged solar disk okay i see like the zoroaster images with the wings so that's basically the sun i see and it is also and it is also in the biblical figure of the burning bush right volcano However, it is equally open to see the fiery solar energy of life as emanating in the topmost foliage of the tree, or on the other hand as indeed being the root of the tree and sending down its rays to the living world of men in and through the branches of the tree. In either event, the avenue of interpenetration between the worlds is through the sun door, the Brahmandara in the zenith this tree of life which connects men to the sun the divine source of all life beyond the world and is the very stuff and staff of life it is only a figure of cosmic and mystic significance it is also of very powerful concern in the active life of man as an ethical or religious being the creation and maintenance alike of life, true life, comes from the comes from sacrifice. Hmm. Sacrifice consists in the offering of what is most valued, and ultimately the only true sacrifice is of the self. This living self is found only at the center. This capital S self that even Mr. Carl, Carl Jung talks about. This living self is found only at the center as a victim it is fixed inescapable inescapably to the center it is tied or nailed to the stake or mast and thus the stake or pole marks or and thus the stake or pole marks the place of sacrifice the skamba becomes the yupa and the storos the 
and the storos, the cross of crucifixion, or the stake for burning. Maybe the obelisks were also. Hmm. Or to make the cross connection, it is only at the stake where Atman discovers itself most truly Brahman. This is the Vatican. This is talking about the Vatican stuff, but this is all Hinduism. Where did they get this shit from? When the Portuguese arrived in Goa. They stole everything. And they talk about patenting intellectual property. Why? Because you stole it all from fucking... When these things are considered, it is indeed strange to observe that the figure of the upside-down tree is unfamiliar in the Western tradition. The upside-down tree is a volcano, is a hydra. Okay. The ecumenical patron of Western Christendom is Saint Peter. You know, Peter means father in Sanskrit. Peter, P-I-T-E-T-A-R. Let me see. Peter. Okay, let me see. <clears throat> yeah. Peter means deceased ancestors. This, this is what I'm saying. It's all just... It's not that complicated. Saint Peter. Saint, de saint deceased ancestor. And according to an acceptable accepted tradition, he met his end in a dramatic manner in Rome, 64 to 69 A.D. on the Vatican Hill, where now stands his shrine, Saint Peter's, the Metropolitan Church of the West. Also, you could say when Jesus said, "I will build my church on this rock," and he was talking to Peter, well, he meant. I will build my church on this rock called Petra. That's what he meant. A church in Petra built out of rock. Okay. <clears throat> there are a few brief references to this episode in early patristic literature. Tertullian, Eusebius, etc. And it is made the climax of an apocry apocryphal book, The Acts of Peter, written probably around 200 A.D., the essentials of this account are as follows. Peter's ministry in Rome became ever more sensational with signs and wonders. Eventually, the compulsive effect of his teaching on Roman matrons and lighter ladies, <clears throat> it caused them to neglect or even renounce their civil duties, I see, brought about his denunciation to the infatuated city prefect Agrippa. Counseled by the brethren, Peter reluctantly accepted to leave Rome. However, on doing so, he met Christ, or a vision of Christ was accorded to him, the famous Domin Quavadis episode. As he went forth from the city, he saw the Lord entering into Rome. 
And when he saw him, he said, Lord, whither goest thou thus? And the Lord said unto him, I go into Rome to be crucified. And Peter said unto him, Lord, art thou being crucified again? He said unto him, Yea, Peter, I am being crucified again. And Peter came to himself, and having beheld the Lord ascending up into heaven, he returned to Rome, rejoicing and glorifying the Lord for that he had said, I am being crucified, the which was about to the which was about to befall Peter. Embracing this destiny with serenity, Peter delivered himself up to the officers of justice, and when he and when the appointed time came, reconciled the people to his end and the instruments thereof. And having approached and standing by the cross, he began to say, O name of the cross, thou hidden mystery, O grace ineffable that is pronounced in the name of the cross, etc., etc. But now it is time for thee, Peter, to deliver up thy body to them that take it. Receive it then, ye unto whom it belongeth. I beseech you, the executioners, crucify me thus, with the head downwards and not otherwise. And the reason whereof I will tell unto them that hear, which he does at length and in several manners while hanging in this position. Basically he said, I want, I want to be crucified face down ass up. St. Peter thus consciously identified himself through his stasis, which with the sacrificial aspect of the sacred upside-down tree, that widespread figure of man's understanding, and that there is nothing episodic or, nor accidental about this association, is, res, is readily apparent in considering the location of the sacrifice with, this, with its conf confirmation and properties. The apocryphal acts which are concerned to elaborate the manner of St. Peter's martyr martyrdom do not identify the site where this took place. This information first appears a century or so later in accounts based on the acts. Yeah, when does this, th this stuff appear? A century or so later. A Roman version falsely attributed to Linus, disciple and successor of the apostle, states that Peter was crucified near Nero's obelisk by the hill. Look at that. Obelisk. St. Jerome, who was the man put in charge by Pope Damasus to compile the book's of the Bible to put together. The Vulgate version, the Latin version of the Bible, which St. Jerome put together in the from the orders of Pope Damasus, is the Latin Bible from which the English King James Version Bible comes from. Okay? Look it up. So when Christians say, they, oh, we have nothing to do with the Catholics, you fucking get your book from the Catholics, from the Pope. Fucking do your homework. St. Jerome, writing at the end of the 4th century, specifically names the locality, recognizable to anyone familiar with the topography of Rome, 
as on the Vatican near the Via Triumphalis. Triumphalis. While another 4th century narrative based on the Acts of Peter, that of Pseudo-Marcellus, the senator who was Peter's patron and follower, states that Marcellus and helpers took Peter's body from the cross and placed it under the terebrinth near the Nomachia in a place called the Vatican. Go look up what Vatican means. <laughs> the, the word Vatican, go look up what, the, what that means. With these accounts, the locality of Peter's sacrificial death and burial is specified as the Vatican and invested with all the properties of the cosmic center, the Imago Mundi, Vis Primal Hill, Standing Stone Obelisk. Where else do you see a obelisk, folks? Hmm, where else? What other famous location in America on the East Coast? <laughs> Has an obelisk. Okay. Standing stone, obelisk, tree, terebinth, and holy grill, grave. Huh. Holy grail, holy grave. Grail is the grave, maybe. Okay. And be it noted that the obelisk and terebinth double in significance the crucifixion where Peter, the rock, is hung on the cross, the tree. Or is it better to say that the figure of St. Peter's crucifixion exemplifies the sacred tree and stone standing on the Vatican? It's all symbology for a volcano. If you just draw a volcano, okay, draw a volcano with a smoke cloud coming out from the top of it. What What is that? You just drew a tree on top of a mountain. On, on a rock. You just drew a tree on top of a rock, right? The ash cloud looks like a tree, right? <clears throat> the column of smoke. Okay. In view of this striking picture, it is of interest briefly to inquire concerning the association of the Vatican site independent of and anterior to Peter's crucifixion. I mean, I'm just saying, like, it. even in the fucking show... The, the Graham Hancock show, Ancient Apocalypse, Episode 2. I mean, you can't make this shit up. He is literally talking about this pyramid structure, man-made pyramid structure on top which the fucking Catholics built a church on. He was, they were literally talking about it when they picked the position. It was basically placed, the Pyramid Hill structure was placed in between the two volcanoes in the background. Now, what the fuck could they have been building this pyramid structure, this triangle structure to represent? What could it be, monkey? What could it be? You could tell them the fucking story, truth, show them all the motherfucking signs and symbols, and they still won't get it because they're a bunch of dumb fucks. They had Two volcanoes in the back saying, <laughs> you, can't, this was, you can tell them, you can show them and they'll still miss it. Fucking useless. Pyra means 
fire in Greek. Pyramid, pyramound, mud, fucking fire mountain with two volcanoes in the background. What the fuck could it symbolize? Dumb fuck monkeys. That's what it symbolizes. Dumb fuck monkeys, man. Okay. The etymology of the name is not clear and is presumably Etruscan since the area originally was Vey territory. Literally, the god who lives in the fire mountain. The dragon fucking fire breathing god that lives in the fire mountain. <laughs> Sound. Om. It's, it's just... It's... It's okay, we'll get it. We will get it. Pliny the Elder states that there was a venerable oak in the region which an Etruscan inscription in bronze letters declared to be sacred declared to be sacred. Okay, now Etruscan what did Miss Lauren Moray say about the Etruscans? Huh? What did she say? She said the Etruscans are the Iranians, right? The Iranians are the ones who set up these civilizations. Etruscan, Rome, all the stuff. And she said all the Pope's um, costume, right? <clears throat> it, it comes from where? She even said it, it all comes from Central Asia. What is Central Asia known for? I'll give you a hint. <laughs> I'll give you a hint. It ends, the word ends with ism. <laughs> oh my goodness, man. It's just. Pliny's oak may be considered either as the terebinth, the two species as reckoned inter interchangeable in the Old Testament as sacred trees, or as an ancestor in the same tradition. Furthermore, to this old established tree cult on the Vatican, St. Peter was in his day not the only heir. At exactly the time of the first notices of St. Peter's Passion, later 2nd century, there was a sanctuary, the, Phryg the Phrygianum, the Phryg Phrygianum, in the area for, for the worship of the tree god, Attis and the, wait for it, Great Mother. What was it? Okay, going back to Mr. Graham Hancock, he was the one who said that all these great pyramid hill structures, right, they dig down and they find there was a first temple, then they built another temple on top of, on top of it bigger, and it kept getting bigger until they came to become a fucking hill, basically, a mountain, whatever you want to call it, right? S okay. What does it say? There was a sanctuary, the Phrygianum, in the area for the worship of the tree god, Attis, and the Great Mother. We all already know what the Great Mother is, right? Okay. Tree god Attis. If you look up Alexa Menos worships his God. Apparently that's the first depiction of Jesus Christ with the head of a horse 
hanging on a cross. Central Asian, look up horse sacrifice. Rome, October horse. Look it up. You can't make this shit up. Okay. Many reliefs of this latter cult have been discovered in the vicinity depicting precisely the sacred tree. The fertility cult of the dying god Attis, Attis and the great mother Sibylle was introduced to Rome from its, from its seat at Pessinus in Asia Minor in 204 BC. Go look up where Asia Minor is. As a measure of salvation during a critical phase in the struggle against Hannibal. And 250 years later during the reign of the Emperor Claudius, it was incorporated in the established state religion. Attis, the son of a virgin mother, Nana, Inanna, sacrificed himself by a tree, by a tree, and the great festival of the cult centered around the raising up of a sacred pine tree, swathed like a corpse in a winding sheet to which was fastened an effigy of the young dying god. At the period under discussion, the ancient fertility cult of physical renewal and increase was celebrated primarily as a mystery religion of spiritual spiritual renewal and increase. In springtime, precisely at the vernal equinox, there was enacted a three-day cycle of death on the tree, burial, and resurrection. What does that sound like? Doesn't it sound like the quote I just read earlier by Mr. Graham Hancock about the phoenix rising from the ashes, death, burial, resurrection. The denouncement was intensely dramatic. At the dead of the night, a light shone in darkness and the tomb stood open. The god had risen from the dead. And the following day, March 25th, the resurrection was made fit subject for general rejoicing the famous hilaria a roman carnival a roman carnival the style and juncture both are of course identical with guess what what do we just have easter what is this at the dead of night a light shone in darkness and the tomb stood open the God had risen from the dead. It's talking about the sun. <laughs> the sun. S-U-N. Sun. The son of God. <laughs> ah, man. We steal images. And then we say, these are the images I stole from this photo album. And this is my story. Or... We all go to the same thing, take pictures, and have different captions, right? <laughs> oh my goodness, man. It's just, it's like so basic. It is, of course, impossible to speak with circumstantiality concerning matters then of little public consequence. 2,000 years passed and first reported in propaganda fashion a century or more after their alleged occurrence. Yeah. <clears throat> I guarantee you it was it was the fucking 
fascist, Mussolini fascist Nazi motherfuckers who went around, took all these symbols, images, stories from all these parts they were civilizing, and then rewrote the story to benefit their state, their whatever district, whatever you want to call it. Still milking monkeys, man. 2023. Pope is still pimping, pimping. Okay. It is okay. I did that part. However, as things stand, there is not much reason to consider as historical the outlined account of St. Peter's activities and death in Rome. Other than the apocryphal acts and later versions deriving from it, early note of St. Peter's presence presence in Rome is meager, cursory, and indeed inferential. These are all characters, man, in a story they made up. So far as the acts are concerned, these are cast in a form which is quite ahistorical. In the first place, the author parodies unmercifully, indeed programmatically, the account of the Passion of Christ. Okay, so this part, when I was reading... When Peter's little, let's say, uh, interaction with Christ on the road, right? There's a story about, there's not, it's not a story, but it's a, well, I guess it's a story, let's say, historical story of, um, yeah, I think it is the Asphameda, where they would let a white stallion Rome free, and wherever the stallion would go, whoever that's the the horse belonged to, they would go conquer those lands. Okay, and <clears throat> um, well, uh, conquer those lands, or and then sacrifice the horse too, or something like that. So there's this whole, um theme going with these similar characters, images, all the shit. So, I said Jesus H. Christ was a horse. So, back then, the, these, these shamans, when they would sacrifice these horses, um, on trees, basically, I mean, some places in a, well, I'll talk about that later. Okay. So far, okay, in his transparent purpose is to recapitulate for Rome what the passion narrative established for Jerusalem. The following equations are manifest. Peter equals Christ. Christ. Marcellus equal, e- equals Joseph of Arimathea or Nicodemus. 
Agrippa plus wife equals Pilate plus wife. And Herod Agrippa, who vexes Peter in Acts 12. Okay, Simon equals Judas Thomas. <clears throat> Interesting. Nero equals Tiberius. It should be noted that the echoes are not only of the canonical Gospels, but also of traditions incorporated in other apocryphal literature. NB developments concerning Pilate, Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, the Gospel of Nicodemus, or the Acts of Pilate. Okay. Moreover, it has been pointed out that in earlier canonical scripture, is found that what well could what well could be a suitably expressed tradition of Peter's miraculous release in Palestine twenty years previous previous to his supposed Roman death. Acts twelve recounts that when Herod the king of when Herod the king Herod Agrippa vexed the church, executing James the son of Zebedee. He also imprisoned Peter under guard, but an angel of the Lord came, smote Peter on the side, then roused him up and led him out of prison. Peter made his way to a house where his fellow Christians were assembled, appeared before them, and then departed and went into another place. The Greek original, whatever, and the English translation both alike can be readily understood as a euphemism for death. English to go, his going hence, etc. And would doubtless be so understood, but for the tradition of Peter's ministry and martyrdom in Rome. Okay, so the Greek original and the English translation both alike can be readily understood as a euphemism for death. I mean, it could all just be symbology, like it could, hanging upside down on a cross could mean whatever, blah, blah, blah. So it could all just be symbology. And these stories are probably um, coded with these symbols. So unless you know what the symbols mean, these stories don't really make sense. Okay. Okay. If in view of the foregoing... The account of Peter in Rome appears decidedly more legendary than historical. Then some account is demanded of the circumstances which would provide for such a legend. That is, it is required to replace the myth of history by the history of the myth. It is required to replace the myth of history by the history of the myth. For this, there would seem to be intrinsic evidence. The apocryphal acts of Peter can be reduced to two themes. Peter's conflict with a rival and his death in the manner outlined. According to the Acts, from the moment of his arrival in Rome, Peter was engaged in combating an inferior adversary who prevented him, Simon Magus. This figure was cast in the type of the armor to fell, or lame devil. The latter in good earnest, since when he exhibits his competence as an aeronaut, 
Peter brings him down with spiritual fire, causing him to crash and break his leg in three places to vindicate the Trinity. In the word, Simon Magus is the image of the dark side, the shadow of Simon Peter. And the conflict between the two figures images the psychic conflict within the apostolic self. Yeah, it's like Gandalf versus Sauron. <clears throat> All these stories are taking place inside your own psyche. Again, when Peter is hanging upside down on the cross and explaining the significance of this, he communicates his meaning by images. Right? Words are images. Images are vibrations. Okay, and we are water. Be water, my friend. Okay, he adverts the, to birth on the model of the fall of man. Learn ye the mystery of all nature and the beginning of all things what it was. For the first man whose race I bear in mine appearance, appearance fell head downwards that is, was born. So he's talking about rebirth, basically. Camel through the eye of a needle, baby popping out of a vagina. That's the great circle, the mother. Ouroboros. It's a pussy. It's a vagina. Volcano. Crater. Circle. Circle of life. We all come out of the circle. The individual, the penis, the phallus, the obelisk comes out of the circle. Okay. With this graphic image, St. Peter alludes to a whole conjury of related concepts, the anterior high estate of the human soul and the inverted values which result from its descent into the material world, etc. Yeah, the triangle facing upwards and the triangle facing downwards. Om, the, the six-pointed star, right? Om, that's all it meant. The symbol that the fucking Zionists stole and put it on their flag of Israel. Om, the six-sided star. The six-sided towers in the Himalayas. Right? It's, it's fucking... <laughs> it's all the stolen stuff and they just repackaged it, man. Fucking useless. That's all they do. They... That's all they do, man. Now both these now both these themes of the Acts of Peter are inspired to represent Gnostic ideas, as all the authorities have perforce recognized. Gnostic, yeah. Where did they get those ideas from? Silk Road, Mr. Silk Road? Where did they get the Gnostic ideas from? The first theme dramatizes the psychic conflicts by personae. Um, example, or C.F. Faust Mephistopheles, in a manner similar to the Gnostic literature regarding Judas Thomas the Contender. And thereby, once again, a parallel is drawn with the story of Jesus by the representation of the dark adversary who is the twin, the destructive self, doubter, the false betrayer within. In the Acts of Peter, Simon Magus plays the role of Judas Thomas, and Simon Magus is a founding figure of Gnosticism. The roots of all this are, of course, contained in the canonical Acts 8, 
9-24, where overtly Peter emerges as the first church father and Simon as the first heretic. However, in this conflict between Simon Rock and Simon Magician, Rock, Paper, Scissor, the latter figure is already seen to be the negative, materialist counterpart of the former. Yeah, it's uh, fucking Darth Vader, man. I am your fucking Fajr. Moreover, this same device of psychological dramatization provides the nexus between the two themes. This is the Domine Quavadis episode where Peter, while seeking to avoid his destiny, was confronted with his true or higher self in the aspect of Christ. What does this story make you think of? There's another story that kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Jonah. Right? Peter, while seeking to avoid his destiny, it also sounds like... Um, it sounds like Jonah. It sounds like... The hero's journey, the the rejection of the adventure, right? It's uh, it's what else? There's uh, Pinocchio, right? The the confronted with this true or higher self in the aspect of Christ. So Christ, Christos, Krishna, is just a symbol for your higher capital S self. That is to say, having defeated the machinations of the shadow, Peter experiences the moment of truth where the Jivatman Jivatman first sees its image in the Param Atman. This is when Moses was standing in the presence of the Param Atman when God said, Take your sandals off because where you stand is holy ground, motherfucker. <clears throat> Moses was burning some bushes. <laughs> okay. As for the manner of Peter's martyrdom, I mean, just look up the whole history of Sanskrit and scientists and scholars loving Sanskrit. Oh, it's the most scientific, blah, blah, blah language. Yeah, no wonder they... every Fucking Jeffrey Armstrong. He even said Latin... Greek is the it's just dumbed down versions of Sanskrit. Look, this this is talking about the Vatican, but they keep pointing back to Hindu ideas, concepts, definitions. Why? Why? If you have the picture for the puzzle box, right? And other people just have the puzzle pieces. Wh where do you think they would turn to get the big picture? Would they keep sifting through all the puzzle pieces and just try to wing it? I mean, you can do that. But, like, if you have the whole picture over here and you see these people here trying to figure it out without looking at the picture... I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> okay. As for the manner of Peter's mar martyrdom, 
This clearly adverts to the original high estate or divinity of the human soul from which pleroma, these are all words, themes, ideas that Carl Jung talks about too. The pleroma of divinity, which is the Godhead. The life of man in the world of appearance, appearances, nature, maya, is conditioned or derived by emanation from the high, aeon, to the lower. Look, it even uses the word aeon. Fucking Jung even wrote a book on that, right? Ion. In this latter, more or less wretched condition, the knowledge or gnosis, which is a saving grace, is the knowledge of the original, higher, supernatural state of existence. Your spinal cord is an elevator. You go down or up, using your consciousness, your awareness, whatever you want to call it. Okay, Shamanism, whatever you want to call it. Meditation, this, that, is taking your point of awareness to different levels of consciousness. Okay. Of this, in some mysterious way, our lower world of nature is an image. Perhaps, indeed, it is most like an inverted image, a mirror image. In any event, the practical aspect of Gnostic Christianity was to image a world in which the Bible was turned upside down. Look, even the words here, man, fucking my goodness, man. Perhaps, indeed, it is most like an inverted image, a mirror image, water is a symbol of your subconscious. Why? Because it's literally reflecting your image. What did Rafiki tell Simba? Look harder. That image lives inside you. You project that image on the water. Water. Mirror image. Inverted. The image you see through your eyes is technically upside down which your brain corrects hence when you make those pinhole cameras the images are always flipped that's why DSLR cameras had to have a mirror to fix the flipped correction to correct the flip so when you look at it through the viewfinder it's straight it's upside straight right is not upside down. Okay. The Gnostic program of inverting biblical values can assume a subtle psychological form, and the overall figure cut by Peter in the apocryphal Acts may be very well a case in point. Isn't it funny? They even call the book Acts. <laughs> They're so lazy, they just call it... They just call it Acts. There's a bunch of Acts. The authors of Christian Gnostic literature had the advantage of working over pre-existing characterizations in the canonical, canonical scriptures. In some cases, this advantage was used with sensitivity. The story of Peter's martyrdom, martyr, martyrdom at Rome is intended to provide an archetypal figure of inversion-slash-conversion and it does this by employing an outward and visible sign. Look, all this is fine. 
This is all great, but it's very confusing because it's literally taking stolen material and trying to present it in a different costume. So I'm saying if you just want to cut straight to the chase, just go to the source, study Hinduism. Just study Hinduism. It's, it's much more clear and defined. Okay. However, it is not too far-fetched to see a parallel design worked out on the psychological plane. Certainly, the figure pre presented gains an intensity by being set against the background of Peter's nature and career as given in the canonical Gospels and Acts. There, a distinct tendency exists to portray Peter with a markedly Hylic temperament, example, he is set as the antithesis of John. He is simple and direct in understanding, a man of action, not reflection. His material perception of the role of the Messiah is a political one, and the physical aggression against the high priest's servant during the betrayal scene. Yeah, remember he cut off the motherfucker's ears? And Jesus was like, those who live by the sword, die by the sword. Okay. You know, Moses raised the bronze serpent in the desert, the dollar sign, because he found oil. Okay, these are stories. Okay, in the Gnosticized martyrdom, Peter preaches the necessity for an inversion of values anything but a material understanding, which he demonstrates in the physical manner of his death. But an even more poignant demonstration of inversion slash conversion is the psychological one whereby Peter's highlight temperament of the canonical scriptures undergoes a complete inversion so as to become an extremely pneumatic man who is the self-sacrificer and incidentally belies the prediction of Christ in John 21.18. There is clear indication then on the face of it that the apocryphal acts of Peter were written in an environment where Gnostic ideas were familiar. This is the historical background to the legend of St. Peter's death in Rome, and the meaning and purport of the legend may be now considered a little within this general Gnostic framework. I mean, where are we at right now? Um, okay. The legendary account, <coughs> excuse me. The legendary account of the saints' martyrdom in Rome embodied in the acts of Peter is a highly charged communication of religious imagery. The martyrdom is prefigured by the only part of the acts to have entered into something like household knowledge, and this part also contains a very clear indication of the Gnostic influence on the, on the work. Peter sees his image in the figure of Christ and is brought to demand of himself the question of questions, Where are you going? Ere Babylon was dust, 
the magus Zoroaster met his own image walking in the garden, that apparition, soul of man, he saw. It's like the part, um, it's, uh, it's like, um, the part in True Romance when the motherfucker's talking to his god image, which is Elvis, reflected in the mirror, right? Okay, um... And Peter said unto the Lord, Art thou being crucified again? He said unto him, Yea, Peter, I am being crucified again. And he, Peter, and he, who's talking about Peter, returned to Rome, rejoicing and glorifying the Lord, for that he said, I am being crucified, the which was about to befall Peter. This is for Peter as his apostolic colleague would have put it, it was not I, but Christ in me. Simba saying, it wasn't me, but it was Mufasa in me, who was to be made the sacrificial victim. In the moment of truth, Peter was to become an... In the moment of truth, Peter was to become an avatar of the one and only transmigrant who is both Redeemer and Redeemed. The capital S self, your heartbeat, monkey, your own heartbeat, is the shining light behind your own darkness, because you haven't come, you haven't popped your head out of your own asshole yet. That's why you're still in the dark. It's the Shawshank Redemption. He has to crawl out of what was it, like four football field size worth of pipes full of shit and piss? What did St. Augustine, everybody quotes the great St. Augustine, right? I think it was St. Augustine, who said, We, meaning us humans, are born between piss and shit. Okay. The light... has to come out of the darkness? How does it work? When it's dark and you light a candle, who's lighting the candle? Hmm? Is it the darkness or is it the light that is lighting the candle? All the fat is the Lord's. Okay. <laughs> All this is obvious on a general view, but the fact is this episode draws on a technical concept of Gnosticism and goes back to Avestan doctrine. Avestan. Hmm. The two terms found are Dane and Grave. Grev. The lexical meanings of both include inner essence, spiritual self. The application of the concept is seen in both Mandean and Manichaean religion, and it signifies the hyper-essential inner man. Okay, just, if you read Marcia Elia's book on shamanism, the title Son of Man is a title for the shaman. Did you hear that? The title Son of Man is just another name for shaman. Okay, it's not that complicated. 
They'll say shamanism is the original, oldest, first, whatever religion out of nature. And then they'll look at all this ancient myths and legends and stories and they'll say, huh, I wonder who, I wonder who wrote these or how did they come up with these? Like, I'm just saying, like, you have the puzzle pieces, you have the picture, but these monkeys are still wondering, okay, man. The application of the concept is seen in both Mandean and Manichaean religion, and it signifies the hyper-essential inner man, the true man, which becomes manifest at the approach of death, and is furthermore mystically identical with the highest godhead. I go to meet my image, the figure of light that comes to meet the dying, the living self, the luminous self. When motherfucking Samson was blinded, they had gouged out both his motherfucking eyes. And they had they had chained him up between the two pillars in the temple, right? And what happened? He met, he went inside, he went inner strength. And what did he see? He saw his Christos, his soul, his light. That's what he did. That's what enlightened him. What was that one G.K. Chesterton quote? Something is like, the angels fly because they take things lightly or something like that. Okay. I go to meet my image. We shall make man in our image. Words are images. Images are vibrations. Vibrations in bags of water. What do you call that? The ghost in the machine? The spirit? What is it? Your heartbeat? What is the living luminous self? Why do you breathe the monkey? Do you control your breathing? When you go to sleep, who controls your breathing? Monkey? Hmm? When you close your eyes and go to sleep, who controls your breathing? Do you beat your own heart, monkey? The living self, the luminous self, the body is the temple of God. Who is the God living in the temple? What is your fucking heartbeat, monkey? When the stage is set for martyrdom, Peter's stasis is a prophetic figure in itself. The actions and stations with which the Old Testament prophets like Hosea, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel signified their messages, but Peter's is a total figure. By hanging head downwards on the stake, Peter makes apparent a vertical analysis of existence directed anterior-slash-superior. And the saints' words on the cross are very explicit, being a simple commentary on on the figure. By the way, 
I'm sure you guys already know that San, S-A-N, that word in front of any other word, so San Francisco, San Diego, San Bernardino, San whatever, San just means saint in Spanish, if I'm not mistaken. So it's actually Saint Francisco, Saint Diego, Saint Bernardino. This is because the Vatican owns America. I'm just saying, Mr. Fucking Jordan Maxwell already told us. Okay. Um, and the saints' words on the cross are very explicit, being a simple commentary on the figure. The figure wherein you see me hanging is the representative of that man that first came to birth. Upside down, you, you come down out of your mother's vagina into the world, right? What do you do with bad energy? You have to shit it out. <laughs> okay. Ye therefore, my beloved, ought to cease from your former error and return back again, for it is right to mount upon the cross of Christ. That is, sacrifice is the true destiny of man, or the destiny of the true man, and the sacrificial stake has a twin nature. For what else, for what else is Christ but the word, the power of God? So that word is the upright beam, wherefore I am crucified. The obelisk, you, what was it, well, how did you put it in the Norseman? You, uh, worshippers of the erection, or something like that. That is, the sacrifices made by attachment to the true doctrine, word, logos, reason. But at the same time, this word is the living word. It is equally life true life as saint peter explains o word of life called now by me the tree or perhaps a word called now by me the tree of life hmm. all of which is to say that it is the true man's destiny to sacrifice his nature by the agony of fixation to the higher law of life the true reason or knowledge of things. Sounds like Buddhism. Sounds like Hinduism. And in doing this, the whole stance of what appears to be existence is inverted, turned upside down. In this fashion, both by his stance and his speech, St. Peter invokes a conjury of four powerful concepts, which are themselves very closely related and mutually reinforcing. The tree, the cross, sacrifice, inversion. The tree denotes cosmic life, the eternal re regenerative process so that to die on the tree is to live forever. Shamanism. Shamanism. To, to die on the tree is to live forever. Shamanism. This central tree corresponds to the cross of redemption, which is indeed often represented as a tree. The cross has a specifically religious connotation 
of providing the soul with an ascent to God, the shaman climbing to the top of the mountain, which is most likely, most likely a volcano. Moses climbed to the top of the mountain where God wrote on the tablets, right? In the Ten Commandments or whatever, he goes up to a volcano, doesn't he? Okay. <laughs> this it does by way of the agony of experience at the crossing where the soul is defined, where the soul is defined, individuated. This is where Lord of the Rings, Frodo, goes up to the volcano mountaintop, right? What was it called? Mount? Was it Mount Doom? Anyways, it goes up to the top of the volcano to, to drop the ring. This is where the soul, this is where Fo Frodo's soul got defined, where he got individuated in the words of Mr. Carl Jung, or Carl Jung, right? And Frodo finally, well, I mean, you can say Gollum was his shadow, let's say, I guess. I don't know. Anyways, soul is defined individuated by the positive vertical axis cutting at one point the multiplicity of natural phenomena expressed in the negative horizontal axis let's talk about sex this is where the penis goes into the vagina and disappears where the one the minus goes into the plus the zero whatever you want to call it and disappears dark matter <laughs> here is made the sacrifice of all cherished illusions and sacrifice in itself is an inverting principle since it assures a continuity of life by fusing together opposites and then inverting them so that life comes out of death creation out of destruction birth smack the bottom baby starts crying it's a new universe it's a new sun <laughs> it's a it's it's all symbol, words are images, okay. All this may be summarized to effect to the effect tree slash cross plus sacrifice slash inversion is greater than creation. Hmm. I don't know what they mean by creation, but okay. Thus in brief in is thus in brief is some estimation of what is imaged by the legendary figure of Saint Peter's martyrdom. Now these concepts or images are not specifically Gnostic ones, of course. They are in their nature quite universal. I will say if you read the Vulgate version of the Bible, so basically the actual original Vulgate Latin Bible translated into English it reads very differently from what we have nowadays it actually does sound way more mystical it really does it sounds way more esoteric it almost sounds Buddhist okay so now these concepts or images are not specifically Gnostic ones they are the they are in their nature quite universal. Yeah. 
However, in this lucid commentary, St. Peter refines his meaning concerning these concepts by ideas and turns of phrase which certainly are Gnostic in character. Peter. When Peter adumbrates the significance of inversion, he employs a figure of speech, a technical term, the left hand, the right hand. He says, <clears throat> By his fall, man changed about all the marks of nature, so that he thought the things which were not fair to be fair, and those that in truth were to be evil to be good. Sounds like what's going on in America right now. A sufficient, sounds like a George Orwell, a sufficient description of the topsy-turvy condition of life in the amoral world of nature. Yeah, when the humans start to get out of order, nature has to cause some chaos so they get back in order. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But Peter goes on to point up this description concerning which the Lord saith in a mystery, unless you make the things of the right hand as those of the left, and those of the left as those of the right, ye shall not have knowledge of the kingdom. Yeah, the Bible verse, right? It's, they complete, probably completely took it out of context okay um which is to say the higher and the lower world accordingly peter adds another parallel technical characterization of inversion and those that are above as those below this of course explicitly refers to the celebrated tabula smaragdina with its as above so below revelation Fucking useless. Okay. Where the fuck was that? Okay. Ye shall have not knowledge of the kingdom. Now these two expressions are common Gnostic technical terms. The left hand signifying the world of nature, of appearances, samsara, this phantom ghost life's piercing pain. And the right hand, the real world of knowledge, gnosis. Which is to say... Did I read all this? Which is to say, the higher and lower world. Accordingly, Peter adds another... Okay, I read all this shit. Okay, this is of course explicitly... This, of course, explicitly refers to the celebrated Tabula Smaragdina, with its as above, so below revelation, and the, tab and the Tabula Smaragdina was a prized Gnostic possession. To these remarks of Peter, the sayings of Jesus in the Gospel of Thomas give an exact parallel. Consider... Jesus said, when you make the two one, the coincidentia oppositorum, and when you make the inside like the outside, and when you make the outside like the inside, as without so within, and the above like below, then you shall enter into the kingdom, etc. So, 
One interesting thing I heard, I'm trying to think where I heard it from. Oh yeah, it was uh, it was the uh, I sh- I shared her fucking things too, but she said basically it's not just north it's not just uh up down left it's no she said it's not just four directions it's six so counting up and down makes six so it was very interesting because that's literally talking about your point of awareness in a 3d world so it's ta- it's almost talking about like energy in dimensions okay which is way more exactly what they're talking about <laughs> more accurate basically there are moreover other parts of the saint's discourse where his terminology is very similar to that employed in gnostic writings in his in his peroration, the saint is careful to disassociate his communication from all taint of the natural world of the flesh, and therefore he is left only with the great mystery of silence. Truth is silence. The problem, I will say, with people like Mr. Richard Dawkins or even Graham Hancock, I might be wrong, I have to look it up, but I think definitely speaking more than one language helps you look at things from different perspectives. So this whole thing with, no, it's just this way, is kind of outdated now. No, man, go, go study a different language. Learn to look at reality through different lenses. Then you'll see that your perspective is not the only perspective. Okay, I give thee thanks not with the lips that are nailed to the cross, nor with his tongue by which truth and falsehood issue forth, nor with this world which comes forth by means of art whose nature is material, but with that voice do I give thee thanks, O King, which is perceived in silence, which is not heard openly which proceedeth not forth from organs of the body, which goeth not into the ears of the flesh. Yeah, it's about going inner and meeting your higher self, motherfucker. Again, all this is very similar in terms to the Gospel of Thomas, a strong work close enough. Yeah, the Gospel of Thomas sounds more like the Matrix or something. Okay, a strong work close enough in color to the orthodox gospels to command respect, yet essentially Gnostic. Considered, Jesus said, I shall give you what no eye hath seen, and what no ear has heard, and what no hand has touched, and what never has occurred to the human mind. Peter's initial injunction, separate your soul from everything which is of the senses. Yeah, basically saying go inwards. Senses and everything is outwards. 
So this is saying do the opposite, go inwards. Shamanism. The doctrine of the ultimate silence in the face of the ultimate mystery is of course very reminiscent of the, wait for it, Vedanta. Dun, da, da, dun. <laughs> what? No ways. Silk Road 2.0? What? Okay. <laughs> the those who say do not know, those who know do not say syndrome. However, like many other ideas and locutions in Gnostic writings, the resemblance is rather one of general symptomatic impression than anything precise which is specifically demonstrable. All mysteries end in silence. Truth is silence. There Jesus stood in silence. All mysteries end in silence. The final act of the Eleusinian mysteries where, where an ear of corn was held up in silence before the mystery. And there can be little doubt that the acts of Peter were reckoned esoteric teaching. They were not to be discussed in the marketplace. Yeah, even Jesus said there's external teachings, exoteric, and then there's internal teachings, esoteric. There's stuff for the... Yeah. However, as opposed to this, it would seem almost impossible to deny that some knowledge of Indian terms and ideas lay behind St. Peter's exposition of the constitution of the cross. He explains, so the word that is Christ, the Logos, is the upright beam wherefore, whereon I am crucified. So the upright beam is the word, the Logos. I am crucified, and the sound is that which crosses it, the nature of man. The characterization of the vertical element as the divine, numinous axis, and the horizontal as the natural, phenomenal axis, barrier, is a ready enough understanding. But when we, when we hear... But when we hear of the reason and the sound together constituting divine power, then Indian concepts like Sabda, Vak, Viraj, Vaj, Viraj come immediately to mind. Yeah, it's, it's not that complicated. And such associations are strongly reinforced when the cross is explained as the vehicle of Christ, who is the word stretched out, the one and only, whom the Spirit saith. Thank you, you done fucking Jesus Christ. Here the spatial extension of the word, the filling up space by the only true existent is an echo of the Nama Rupa manifestation of Brahman by way of a theophany. Look, the the one, the sword, whatever, the phallus, the upright obelisk, whatever image you want to call it, the one, the individual, goes into the zero. Nine months later, you get another one coming out of the zero. 
It's it's very basic. Okay. It's not that complicated. It's it's just how it's just nature, how nature works, man. How you work. You're part of nature. I mean it's it's not that complicated. All they did was make us forget how to listen to our hearts. That's all. They divided up everything so that you think you're your mind, your ego, your this, your that. Those are words. Words are images. They're literally controlling you with images. Images are vibrations. Okay. Perhaps the most striking piece of religious imagery is that used by the saint when he goes on here to explain the articulation of the two elements of the cross. He says, And the nail which holdeth the cross tree into the upright in the midst thereof is the conversion and repentance of man. Here indeed is the point of his discourse and the whole significance of his exposition of his upside-down figure is centered on it. This is the fucking uh, Vitruvius, the Vitruvius man, right? Right, was it Vitruvius? Vitruvium? Vitruvius? No, Vitruvius man of Michelangelo. The same symbolism. Okay, um... Centered on it, on it. For, for be it observed, there is a momentous ambiguity in the critical words of Peter's sermon. And this provides for very different levels of understanding. To make the things of the right hand as the left hand, etc., in the immediate sense, is understood as expressing inversion, conversion. To put the one thing in the place of the other, to, un to understand one thing in the sense of the other. If you could put yourself in someone else's shoes, right? That's the that's the saying, right? Okay. Okay, there was a thing right here. Hmm. I mean, I'll put the links for this. Some of the, some of the footnotes are very interesting too. So, okay. Um. Okay, for it, for be it observed, there is a momentous, a momentous ambiguity in the critical words of Peter's sermon, and this provides for very different levels of understanding. To make the things of the right hand as the left hand, okay, blah, blah, blah. This adverts to the essential hourglass dynamics of the cosmos. Wow, look at that, god damn. The Enentiadromia where every theory eventually runs to and into its opposite and back again. This is the import of Peter's words for the marketplace and sufficiently important they are. So imagine the Earth's tilt and which is determined by let's say an hourglass. So once all that sand has gone back from the top to the bottom, the bottom weight gets heavier and it spins back again till well maybe maybe that's how it works who knows okay 
This is the most okay. However, the same words express a very different concept to make the things of the right hand as those of the left hand, and those that are above as those below, etc. means equally equally directly to abolish all dis distinction between the two opposites, to reduce them to a unity. Yeah. You are order and chaos. You hold them both in your fucking heart. Oneness. Sanatana Dharma. Oneness. Okay. And this concept is the basic one of all esoteric doctrine. The coincident the coincidentia oppositorum the supra-logical perception which permits life in the face of all killing conflicts. This is the eternal day which subsists through all apparent inversions of day and night. This is, all this shit billionaires won't get. They won't understand because they're too rich. They're too rich. They got too much money, too many worries. They won't understand these things to enter the kingdom of heaven. Right? Jesus said that rich man's Jesus told the, the rich man said, "What can I do to enter the kingdom of heaven?" Jesus already knew this motherfucker already has everything, so he said, "Well, leave everything, come follow me." He said, "Fuck off, man. <laughs> I'd rather see you hang on the cross, right?" <laughs> That's basically what's been happening to, since then, right? Okay, uh, and this is clear. This is clearly represented in Peter's cross by the central nail, which is the conversion of man. At this point, we are beyond the clashing semplegades in Greek expression, or in and through the sun door, Brahmandara, where the sun no more rises nor sets of Indian thought. Okay, let me see. Let me read this. Uh... This nail, as a quintessential pars pro toto, has broken loose from being a sub-symbol to enjoying a widespread significance as a primary symbol in its own right. It is especially in the shaman lands of the north where this development occurs. And not only is the nail considered to articulate the cosmos and provide for the rotation of the heavens, but from this last function it is given a markedly astro astronomic or astral significance, so that the pole star is called the nail star, originally perhaps the nailed star. This characterization of the pole star is equally referred to as the earth nail or the nail north and the inevitably and inevitably the world nail. Wow. So that made me think of the swastika. Why? Because the swastika is basically a is is a description of the stars. How they rotate. The central nailed star in the middle. And the flow of direction. How the, st the, the star... Well, the stars don't... I mean, the earth rotates. And it makes the sky look like it's turning, basically, right? 
That's what it was a symbol of. Eternal time. Cosmos. And of course, the fucking fascists have to take these symbols into their cities, concrete jungles, invert the meanings, and use it for bad. That's all they do. There's nothing new under the motherfucking eternal sun. When the various aspects mentioned above are set together, the picture of the martyrdom, 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 fucking, I need to look up where that fucking word came from. Marydom of Peter, of Peter contained in the apocryphal acts appears a work of genius. And so it is, the genius of the age. Time in its season turns all things to account. Never has the upside-down tree been imaged to more purpose than here. This controlling image most probably came to hand from India. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like... It's... (laughs) Wherever the sun has been shining longer, plus you add water, I mean, it's, it's not that complicated. Just, it's just okay. As Peter's cross and pulpit is what at once, as Peter's cross and pulpit, it was at once a tree of life and death, and a tree of knowledge of good and evil. Its inverted stance rep- responded not only to its original function of esoteric transvaluation and transubstantiation but in addition it spoke directly of and to an age where the visible order of things was being turned upside down yeah like maybe a crazy super volcano had gone up the whole sky got turned upside down it was all chaos people dying from famine plagues killing stealing all kinds of shit yeah Everything got inverted. Okay, um... Where was I? The visible order of things was being turned upside down. This image was planted on a central hill where there had been a sacred tree before the arrival of Roman power. In latter days, an ecumenical eastern cult had appropriated the site and its properties this cult had become a mystery religion of personal salvation through the identification of the savior and the saved and was itself a fit vehicle for gnostic interpretation little imagination being required to see sibylle as a pleroma symbol and a logo symbol in Attis. However, the more powerful vehicle for such ideas was Christianity, and its triumph over the Phrygian Phrygian mode was sure and soon. He of the conical bonnet is also a Christian, said the despairing priest of Attis, but it was too late for any accommodation. As this juncture, the acts of Peter took form. As, yeah, as this juncture, the acts of Peter took form. As they stand by accident or design, these contain different things for different men. 
persiflage for the proletariat and the martyrdom with its allocution for those with knowledge. The latter is an expression of of depth. The latter is an expression of depth psychology, reminiscent of parts of the apocryphal of the apocryphal Thomasine literature, the secret sayings and the song of the pearl. Huh, that I think I did the secret saying the song of the pearl. That sounds interesting. Don't throw your pearls to the pigs. Okay. Its significance has never been fully and critically estimated. The powerful figure of the expositor victim fixed to and suspended from his doctrine in the image of his doctrine is one which has operated both in and out of history in the West. As the major arcana of the hanged man it is once again familiar to many who seek to transcend or avoid. It is proper, however, to conclude by reenacting, re-entering the plane of history, the lonely inner sacrifice of the individual soul, the jivatman, which is the inescapable flight of the alone to the alone, is ever the socially creative act. On this figure was established the central power of the Roman Church, perhaps the most authoritarian of historical institutions. Yeah, and here you go, the Jesuit Pope who's, who's an atheist going around talking about God, Jesus, this, that. I mean, they must have us under a very powerful spell for there to be no motherfucking reason left in their motherfucking useless minds. Useless minds. The best thing you can do is to fucking lose your mind. The uh, Mind is a Myth by Yuji Krishnamurti. Mind is a Myth by Yuji Krishnamurti. The best thing you can do is lose your motherfucking mind. Okay. So why? So that you can listen to your heart again. Okay. Perhaps the most authoritarian of historical institutions. The church accepted the graphic expression of the figure into its official iconography. And although it never canonized the heterodox literary, literary expression, equally it took care never to provide any alternative. Yeah, there's so much better... <sighs> okay... And this was wise, that in that intuitional genius which give to airy nothings. Separate your souls from all things of the senses. A local habitation, the Vatican Hill, and a name, the rock, is the making of, <clears throat> is the making of history, whatever this word history may mean. History is a story written by the victors. Well, in the name of Jesus, we have the victory, right? Well, Rumi said, yeah, keep breaking your motherfucking heart till it opens. Only in silence will you... 
meet your own, your own higher self, Krishna, Christos, Christ, God self, light, form, whatever you want to call it. Only after the darkness you see the light. Alright, peace monkeys, peace.